So which stage of grief are we in? Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at quorumreport.com, and here, as always, is ace reporter at the Houston Chronicle and HoustonChronicle.com, Jeremy Wallace. Hello, sir. Oh, reporting for duty. I'm yeah, ready. You, don't, you don't sound tired at all. Uh, we are <laughs> completely refreshed. I will tell you that this past weekend, I think I went to sleep uh, Friday afternoon and I woke up on Monday. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't quite that bad, but man, last week just wore me out. Uh, this this week is a little more even. Um, we uh, are going to talk about the election. There's more Monday morning quarterbacking to do, for sure. A lot of people are doing that. And of course, nationally, Republicans are grappling with the fact that President Trump is not president-elect again, right? He's not been reelected. That's not the projection. And that instead we have uh, President-elect Biden. We'll get to that. Uh, but first... Um, a coronavirus update. Uh, we should update the numbers on this because as we were talking about it during the election, it became more of a political issue leading up to November 3rd. Um, and, you know, the way the Democrats were talking about it versus the way the Republicans were talking about it. Um, now, I think the folks in leadership are a little more liberated to talk about it in some different ways. Let me give you an example here. Governor Abbott was on NBC5 in Dallas just last night, and we have seen a spike in cases. Jeremy, tell us about that. We have uh, surpassed a a terrible milestone for Texas, right? Can you put it this way? Did Texas go platinum? (laughs) There you go. Well, we hit 609 hospitalizations uh, additionally in mm-hmm. one day. So we wow. went up 609 okay. people were hospitalized for lab-confirmed COVID-19 on one day yesterday. Yeah. Uh, that's a 10% increase, and that's the biggest single-day jump we've had since June 30th. Yeah. Now, for the readers and listeners, you know, go back to June 30th, mm-hmm. what was happening then. Right. You know, at that point, we were shutting everything down as we were heading into July with that nasty spike that put over 10,000 in the hospital. Yeah. We're, st- we're still looking at at about 7,000 people almost in the hospital right now. And that's been really straining hospital capacity, particularly out west. Uh, we already you know, talked about how uh, El Paso has converted its convention center and performing arts hall into an emergency hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lubbock now is getting tents sent there to extend their hospitals. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, Amarillo, the, the hospitalizations are up over, uh, over 30% of the people in the hospital right now are COVID-19. Uh, and you know, watch out for Waco. You know, Waco is mm-hmm. one that I've watching their hospitalizations kind of creep up. Yeah. Uh, they're approaching nearly 13% of all their hospitalizations COVID. The, the trigger mark for Texas is when we hit 15% of the hospitalizations are COVID related in a region. That's when things start you know, clamping down. That's when the governor you know, shuts down, uh, you know, Types, you know, surgeries that aren't necessary, you know, mm-hmm. for the moment, right. uh, and starts rolling back occupancies at restaurants and retail stores and things like that. So, you know, keep an eye right now. It's like El Paso, Amarillo, Lubbock, all terrible shape. Uh, Laredo, Waco, and Texarkana are all right behind it right now. So, keep an eye on those places as we move forward. In this NBC5 interview in Dallas-Fort Worth, Abbott was asked about all of that, about the spike in numbers and whether more lockdowns, like Jeremy mentioned, more restrictions might be in store for us very soon. 
Well, listen, we've been here before. Remember, we had this skyrocket rise in July, uh, and people responded to that rise by following the safe practices. And people just need to return to those safe practices in the immediate time frame. And it's following those safe practices that led to the reduction of the spread from the spike in July that led to the low that allowed us to open up uh, more businesses. In fact, 100 percent of businesses are open today. We can continue with those businesses open as long as people follow the safe practices. Is he going to change any of his executive orders? Well, remember this, and that is the executive order has an automatic ratchet back. Uh, Once a hospital region has more than 15% of their hospital beds occupied by COVID patients. As we speak right now, three regions fall into that category, El Paso, Lubbock, and Amarillo. When that happens, that causes a a further reduction of business openings, including a closing of bars, but also it leads to a reduction in non-essential surgical procedures to make sure that more beds will be available for anybody who contracts COVID. But as I will explain momentarily, we do expect the number of COVID cases to go down. Governor Abbott says that he and fellow governors from around the state and around the country have been working with the White House to be ready to distribute vaccines when they're readily available and widely available. And that's not the only thing they're working on. It's so important the audience understands there are two different types of medicines that are coming available this month. One is the vaccine that you've heard about, uh, and that's the vaccine uh, by Pfizer. There may be another announcement later on this month about an additional vaccine by Moderna. Uh, Both of those are set up for distribution around the state of Texas already. And then on top of that, we have these therapeutic drugs like the drug that the president took after he got COVID. Remember how quickly he recovered from COVID, how quickly he went back out and campaigned all day long in inclement weather. It shows how you can quickly overcome COVID and the challenges that it poses. If you are able to get some of the best health care in the world, like at Walter Reed uh, Army Medical Center, uh, then you can get out there pretty quick and recover from COVID-19. Um, it's easy for folks to talk uh, that way when they have access to good health care. Um, I would say that um, it, talking a big game versus what you're actually going to do are different. Um, just this week at the Texas Capitol, uh, there was a meeting that had been scheduled of what's called the Sunset Commission, yep. which is made up of lawmakers and some others. And they canceled it because of COVID-19 concerns. It was our reporting at Quorum Report uh, that you did have some lawmakers who were exposed. They, they were considered exposed to COVID-19. Nobody had tested positive. At least that was not on the record. Uh, but just because they were exposed, they canceled the meeting. Right. So we've been trying to figure out whether they will even be able to have a legislative session come January when all of the lawmakers, uh, state lawmakers from around Texas would gather at the Capitol uh, to debate the laws that we all live under. And it's a big question mark right now as to whether they can even do that, Jeremy. Um, And in the meantime, you have the spike in numbers and you have the governor talking about the possibility of uh, some further restrictions. You heard him say in that interview that his executive order uh, changes restrictions in certain areas when uh, certain numbers hit, uh, you know, a certain uh, threshold, as if he can't just change it on his own. Uh, it, it's like he put the order out there, and oh well, you know, it's 
it's a living thing. It can it can it can change on the fly. Keep in mind, it's the same governor who retroactively changed his orders when there was political pressure because one business uh, in Dallas didn't want to shut down a salon yep. owner up there who's now running for the Texas Senate. Uh, but all of this is really in flux, and as we go into the fall months and the winter months, it's expected to only get worse as people have to do more and more inside indoors right jeremy yeah exactly it's like you sit there and wondering like what's around the corner right now because it's not just us too is it let's be fair it's like you know texas isn't the only one seeing this spike you know up and down the east coast they're talking about like you know ratcheting up restrictions new jersey new york just put in additional restrictions you know so you can see like everywhere in this nation right now uh we're seeing this uptick and that's why like everybody's like come on pfizer (laughs) you know our hopes are in you you see dr fauci kind of giving them a little bit of a seal of approval Mm -hmm. Uh, and you just like, you know, get these vaccines to market as fast as you possibly can, because otherwise we're looking at, you know, months of like more turmoil. And let's remember, there's like 19,000 people who have died in Texas from right. this disease. And I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this right now knows somebody who has gotten COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sadly enough, you know, a lot of us know people who have died from it. So uh, yeah. this is real everywhere. Yeah, we'll continue to track it here for you. Um, And as we said early on, um, as people know someone who have the disease, their whole mindset about all of this changes. If they know somebody who had it or somebody who passed away from it, uh, and the political reality of it changes as well because of those attitudes. Um, Is the election over now? Is it done? Are we finished with it? No. Uh, no? All right. <laughs> no well, is the short answer. <laughs> there's there's some argument about this. How justified the argument is, we will get into in just a second here. But I was thinking this through, and I think this – and I'm not a big one for movie analogies and stuff like that. But um, if 2018 was a new hope for Texas Democrats, then 2020 was the Empire Strikes Back, right? You had the Republicans really come in uh, with all the ammunition they needed – to really tamp down this resistance. See, the, the analogy works, like, yes. all the way across with the Star Wars uh, universe. So, and, But don't even ask me, like, who da- Darth Vader is or anything like that. I'm not going to go there. Now, amid all of that, you know, the fact that the Democrats um, basically didn't gain anything in Texas this year, at least as far as offices, um, they did make some progress in a couple of, in a couple of key ways, right? Uh, one, um, the margin for president was smaller. Right. It was within a seven point race, a six point race um, when it had been a nine point race. And before that, it was always a double digit race, you know, for for modern times. Um, And one other thing is this idea of and it's not even an idea anymore. You can see it in a couple of election maps now, two in a row, at least right of this blue spine that you've been talking about, the I-35 corridor. And you had reported about the fact that that got even stronger this year, right in 2020. Yeah, th- that blue spine is what's responsible for making the statewide race even closer. Like, understand that, like, when Joe Biden got over 45% of the vote in this election cycle, uh, you have to go, if you look back at, you know, since uh, 1960, uh, you know who's gotten over 45%? You know, we're talking LBJ, yeah. John F. Kennedy, and Jimmy Carter after Watergate. That's it. Okay. It's like, so you see, you know, Joe Biden is in some rare company because of that blue spine. And what we're talking about with that blue spine is is there's 20 plus counties along I-35 from uh, Laredo up Mm -hmm. through DFW uh, to the Oklahoma border. 
those places are the ones that are diversifying and adding more population and the voter registrations are going crazy and what mm-hmm. we've seen happen you, know, you go back to 2014 you know that stretch of road john cornyn won it by 350,000 votes right and he was at the top of the ticket well 2016 rolls around and hillary clinton wins it by 100,000 Beto, when he was running two years ago, Beto O'Rourke running against Ted Cruz, he came within 400,000 votes. You know, he won it by 400,000 votes. Mm-hmm. This time, Biden's going to be up close to 500,000 votes. Yeah, right. So you see the swing from Cornyn being able to win this thing by 350, this region, to where it is now, which is a place where Williamson County and Hayes County have flipped. Tarrant County has flipped. Collin and Denton County are like looking like they want to come over the line. Bear County is voting so intensely for Democrats, like in a way that they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you see all this is happening along I-35 and it's yeah. changed the dynamics of Texas politics because the, the strong areas where Republicans do best in the panhandle and on East Texas, those places aren't growing as fast as what's happening along I-35. And so the math shows you in a long-term gain, if this doesn't change somewhere, Democrats only continue to add to their you know, margins and get mm-hmm. closer and closer with the right candidates. It's not going to be any candidate. Right. It still has to be the right candidates. Joe Biden and Beto O'Rourke were clearly candidates that resonated more than Hillary Clinton. But if they continue this progress, the Republicans got to ask themselves, where do we find the votes to, you know, buttress this, to make sure that it doesn't, you know, you know knock us out? Mm-hmm. The thing I would add to that is in legislative races and congressional races, what the Republicans now have the ability to do, because they were successful in tamping down the resistance in the 2020 yeah. election, is they get to reset the maps this year, this coming year, with redistricting. Um, and when you talk about redistricting, people's eyes kind of glaze over. It's a very boring process. They're going to do what? They're going to draw boundaries for political districts. This all sounds just very arcane, and it can be. Um, but a couple of things about it. One. One, uh, it is allocation of power over the course of the next decade, right? Yes. I mean, they draw them every every 10 years based on the census numbers, and they'll draw them based on what you're talking about. They'll, they'll draw the districts based on how those districts performed in this last election. For those districts in Collin County, for example, that looked like they were you know moving toward the Democrats, they'll figure out a way – to draw those lines around the voters, it's the old uh, saying of, um, you know, it used to be that the voters would pick the politicians, and now the politicians pick the voters. That's how that's how it works. You could envision, I'll give you an extreme example, you could envision having a Texas House district or a congressional district that goes from um, the Denton area to Amarillo yeah. to, you know, to elect, and if you think I'm if you think I'm being extreme, there is a congressional district that runs from here where I live in Austin all the way to Houston. That's yep. uh, Michael McCall represents that, uh, including uh, Washington County and some other areas. The other thing I would say about redistricting is that the Supreme Court of the United States in the last couple of years has decided that the federal courts have no role in deciding whether a map is too partisan. You remember this ruling, yep. um, and this is a big uh, problem for Democrats, especially in Texas, but in other places, too, where Republicans have done well in controlling uh, state legislatures. Now, there's, there can be uh, challenges based on racial discrimination, uh, so we may see uh, some of that. Probably we'll see challenges like that here in Texas, but they can put the state into a computer based on the numbers that you're talking about and punch a button that says draw 90 
Republican districts in the Texas House. Yeah. And we see how that, you know, we'll see how that all plays out. Well, and, and certainly there's like, and they're going to have that ability, but even with the changes that have happened in the state, it's going to get trickier. You know, it's like they're going to have three more congressional seats probably to kind of mm-hmm. play with to help them out. Yep. But they're clearly going to have to give the Democrats a couple of seats they don't want to give them. You know, you think of something like, you know, in the congressional districts, yeah, you know, Lloyd Doggett and uh, Joaquin Castro can only get so many Democrats <laughs> in those districts. You're going to have to kind of spread them out and it's going to be harder and harder to kind of do cool. that. Watch yeah, how well, far south those two districts go, too. Yeah, Watch Lloyd say, Doggett represent Laredo by the time mm-hmm. this thing's done. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, call me cynical. Watch, watch how all that goes when they get to redistricting yep. next year. Um, as far as whether the presidential election is over, um, the president and his supporters are insisting that it ain't done till this goes all the way to the United States Supreme Court, which we were just talking about. Um, let's start with Senator Cruz. Uh, he's been the most vocal defender of the president on this. Um, and in fact, President Trump tweeted out this interview that Senator Cruz gave on Fox News over the weekend. Um, and Cruz is making the argument uh, that every you've heard this a bunch, Jeremy, every legal vote needs to be counted. And if there are irregularities, if there's any fraud, well, it's got to be stopped. We're hearing lots of allegations of a dead person voted. Uh, we, we heard a report from, from one county in Michigan where the election software mistakenly counted 6,000 votes that were cast for Donald Trump. It switched them to Joe Biden. Now, they apparently caught that, uh, but that same software is used in 47 counties throughout Michigan. That needs to be examined to determine that there's not uh, a, a problem counting the votes. And the legal process is how you resolve those questions. Quick fact check. There was no software problem. There was a human error on that. And uh, here you go. They caught it. It's, it was fixed. Uh, Cruz said that unless they have a court battle, there's just no way for any of us to know what's really happening. You, you know, one of the frustrating things just as, as an American watching this is you hear all these allegations of what's going on. And it's hard to know what the facts are. It's hard to know what the truth is. Well... We have a process for ascertaining the truth, which is that you can go and present evidence and test it in a court of law, and then those appeals will go up both through the state uh, appellate system and the federal appellate system, and, and this case could very easily end up at the U.S. Supreme Court. Senator Cruz also cited his experience as one of the attorneys who worked on Bush versus Gore 20 years ago, back in the year 2000. I was part of representing then-Governor George W. Bush, Uh, In in the course of 36 days, uh, we had multiple cases throughout the state of Florida. It went twice to the Florida Supreme Court. It went twice to the U.S. Supreme Court. It took 36 days to resolve, and we got an answer. I, I would expect a similar process to play out here, despite the media trying to tell everyone, give up, go home, we know who we want to win. That's not how it works. We need to follow the law, and that means allowing the legal process to play out. Jeremy, here's why I describe this as the stages of grief, because even during this week, Senator Cruz's tone on this and the substance of what he's saying changed. Yeah. That was over the weekend. What you just heard was, was this past weekend. Um, he was called out by some people, even in conservative media. Here's Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday who mocked Cruz for saying that. It would seem to me that Republicans on Capitol Hill have a role to play in this. A very few of them have said, look, you pursue your legal options, but, uh, you know, damp down the rhetoric, like 
Mitt Romney, like Pat Toomey. Uh, there are a lot who are just silent. And then there are some, I mentioned Ted Cruz, uh, you know, who, who are like uh, the Japanese soldiers who come out uh, 30 years after the end of the, uh, of the war and uh, out of the jungle and say, you know, is the fight still going on? <laughs> okay, so... Cruz is finding other ways to talk about this. He was on a show called uh, Louder with Crowder. Have you seen this deal? I have it not. Looks like a podcast slash YouTube thing. He's some kind of big social media celebrity. He does a pretty good show. I thought I was entertained by it. Um, I watched uh, Senator Cruz. Uh, he joined this guy, Stephen Crowder, on his show, Louder with Crowder. This, this host, by the way, of the podcast, he does the show in what looked like silk pajamas. Look very... <laughs> Look very comfortable. Maybe I should do that. No, okay, I won't. I won't put y'all through yeah, that. Yeah, please don't. The guy in the silk pajamas, Crowder, he asks a very straightforward question of Senator Cruz, and this was posted um, on YouTube yesterday. What hard evidence is there of either irregularities or voter fraud? What do you plan to take into battle? All right, Jeremy, listen very, very carefully to the answer from Senator Cruz. Well, well, Stephen, I'll tell you what evidence matters, and, and that is the evidence presented by the legal teams in court in the formal challenge. And, and, and here's how this operates. We, we had the election eight days ago. Mm -hmm. After the election, there have been multiple lawsuits filed across the country in multiple states challenging the results, um, either calling for recounts, mandatory recounts, or contest uh, litigation, other cases challenging the results. It's now incumbent on the Trump legal team to go and present their evidence, not on Twitter, not uh, on, on YouTube or on TV, but to present it in a court of law. That means coming in with expert witnesses, coming in with statistical analysis, coming in with direct witnesses who can testify as, as to specific fraud. Jeremy, you tell me if I'm wrong. Did you hear any evidence in there? No. <laughs> of, of, of fraud? The, the guy asked him a straightforward question. What is the evidence that you are going to point to as fraud that would you know, help President Trump put his case over the top and, and be the guy who wins the presidency? Well, it, yeah, and it, it, what's crazy about this, it's not just like they have to find fraud in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and they have to find it in Georgia yes. and they have to find it in Nevada and they have to find it in Arizona. It's like it's not like 2000 where it was in Florida. We knew there were 500 votes and you needed to find a way to hold on to that 500 vote margin, right. you know, in one state. Here we're talking about four states mm -hmm. that are decided by thousands and in some cases, it, tens of thousands yes. of votes. Right. How it do you is, change that? It is nothing like Bush versus Gore in 2000. Correct. And here's the thing. Cruz knows that he was on the legal team. And and, and so he is uh, leaving that out. Now, he's he, when I say that Cruz is probably the smartest politician I've ever covered, I'm not exaggerating. He is an extremely intelligent guy. He is a constitutional law expert. He's He was the Solicitor General of Texas. Um, have, if you've ever watched or listened to uh, a Solicitor General, which what they do is argue, they represent Texas before the Supreme Court. You know, they're an appellate lawyer. And so if you ever watch um, appellate proceedings, it's very different from a trial court where, you know, the, argue, the arguments are made by the lawyers and, um, you know, they present their evidence and all that stuff. Appellate law is where they have a panel of judges and the panel of judges peppers them with questions the whole time. And they have to be real fast if you've ever watched that. It's fascinating. So you have to be a certain kind of lawyer and you hear the way that Cruz talks. 
that that sort of very staccato, quick way of speaking. That's that's why he does that. That's his experience. That's his training as an attorney. Okay, so when he says that there is fraud and what's important is the evidence that is presented by Trump's lawyers in court, in a court of law, it's fair for us to go look at what Trump's lawyers said in court as their evidence, right? You betcha. So, so let me take you to phillymag.com. This is Philadelphia Magazine in Philadelphia, PA. Here's the headline. Trump lawyer to Pennsylvania judge. Nope. I've got no evidence of voter fraud. There was no recording of this that I'm aware of, but um, the transcript of the court proceedings is a transcript that you don't need a legal expert to explain to you. Okay, a lot of times when we cover things that happen in court, it can seem arcane. It's a lot of legalese, and who knows what they even said if you're not a lawyer. You don't need that for this. I'm going to read you what the judge asked the lawyer, and then I'm going to give you the answer from the lawyer. Are you ready? Go for it. Here's the judge. The judge said, quote, and he's, he's talking to Trump's attorney about election fraud in Pennsylvania. Quote, I'm asking you a specific question and I'm looking for a specific answer. Are you claiming that there is any fraud in connection with these 592 disputed ballots? Here's the answer from Trump's attorney. Quote, no, unquote. OK, maybe I'm truncating the quote. Let me give you the full quote. It doesn't make it any better. <laughs> Quote, to my knowledge at present, no. In fact, it kind of makes it worse, right? As we're searching. We're searching for fraud. Now, the judge followed up. Here's the quote from the judge. Are you claiming that there is any undue or improper influence upon the elector with respect to these 592 ballots? Here is the Trump attorney's response. Quote, to my knowledge at present, no, unquote. So here's where Senator Cruz on the Louder with Crowder show sort of gets real with these people because Cruz knows that what I just read is what they're saying in court, right? Here's what, here's what he told the guy in the silk pajamas. To win... To flip the outcome, the Trump legal team has to run run the table. They can't just win in one state. They can't just win in Pennsylvania. They can't just win in Georgia. They've got to win in multiple states. And and so that becomes harder uh, because Biden has a lead in, in, in several of these states, from Georgia to Arizona to Michigan to, sure. to Pennsylvania to Nevada. And, and, and to get to 270 electoral votes, Trump has to win not just once. And winning once is not easy, but he's got to win multiple times. Right. And so my advice to everyone is just just calm down and relax and let the process play out. That doesn't mean pop the champagne and celebrate that Trump's going to win. We need to let the process play out and see what happens. But right. but don't also accept what the media is saying, which is the don't even bother with the litigation. We say it's over, so you must think it's over. That champagne might get flat. Now, not to be outdone, Texas Republican Party Chairman Alan West was on TMZ Live. Yes, you heard that right. He was on TMZ Live, and West compared Biden, being called president-elect, to Barry Bonds and Tom Brady. What did he mean by that? Well, these guys are winners, right? But he was saying that they have an asterisk by their names. 
Well, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was there on that night when Hank Aaron hit 715 against the L.A. Dodgers pitcher Al Downing. But, of course, when you talk about home run kings, some people said that Barry Bonds, I think he ended up hitting 755, but there was an asterisk because we know that Barry Bonds was uh, taking the steroids, and a lot of people still see Hank Aaron as the home run king. And then the exact same thing when you have, you know, cheating that is going on. You can ask Tom Brady about some of the flack that he took with the deflate gate. And so when I look at this election that is going on right now, it's very important that we understand our constitutional republic and its rule of law and its processes as far as our democracy. One thing that you learn about um, campaigns is that everything at the end is scoreboard. Yep. Who had more points on the board, right? So for if, he's, if we're doing a sports analogy here, the guys he's talking about, they had the more, most points on the board, just like Biden has the most points on the board. Now, as the Transformer leader Optimus Prime once said, <laughs> fate, fate rarely calls on us at a time of our choosing. When you have the Republican Party chairman willing to do an interview on TMZ, that means that TMZ guys have to do some real journalism, right? And I was impressed, Jeremy. Listen to West talking about his argument that you can't call the election for the winner just yet and listen to the follow-up from one of the TMZ hosts here. First and foremost, you still have some counting that is going on in quite a few states. And then you also, after the counting, you have to have what is called a canvassing process where they go back and review these ballots. And after the review of the ballots, then there has to be a certification. Right now, there has been not a single state in the United States of America that has certified any of the results of this election. So I think that we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves when we start to uh, declare uh, Joe Biden the, the uh, president-elect. And Remember, Alan, President Alan, but that, that's a, a normal in, in any election year. That's the normal process. The certification doesn't happen the day after the election or even a week after the election, regardless of how close it is. It just that's how the process works. So to, it seems misleading to say to people that you're making it sound like it hasn't been certified by the states because there's some question. That's just a normal process. It wouldn't be sort of certified under any circumstances. Well, but that's my whole point. When you have a media outlet sort of going out and declaring someone a victor without a certification truly being done, I think that's very misleading to the American public. And again, let's go back to the year of 2000 when we remember that for 30 days people were saying uh, President-elect Al Gore, but we ended up having a different result once once the whole process played through. It, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy. I, I don't think that's how that went. They weren't correct. calling Al Gore the president. Um, there was a, a piece uh, in the Washington Examiner, which is not a liberal publication. They had a piece yesterday. Uh, the title was uh, something like Trump is a he's a worse sore loser than Al Gore. And they showed um, those pictures from 2000 when people started wearing shirts that were the sore loserman. Yeah. Shirts, you remember yep. that? Uh, I remember Gore, that. Yep. Goran Lieberman was the ticket at the time. Uh, and as one person pointed out, um, if if Al Gore had won his home state of Tennessee, which he didn't, Florida would not have mattered, right? So they, they didn't do the best job there. It all came down to those 500 votes. I think there is, and help me with this, I think there's a misunderstanding about when, and maybe, and maybe Chairman West just doesn't understand this. I'm going to give him benefit of the doubt. When a media organization calls the election for one candidate or the other, it's not that that's who the media organization wants to win. Fox News also called it for uh, Joe Biden on Saturday, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. 
they're not declaring a winner either. What they're doing is they're reporting the result. They're looking at the right. They're looking yep. at the votes that have come in, and they can project that you know once you get to a certain point, the person who's behind is not going to be able to overcome this basically no matter what, right? And and so they're very careful about that. You remember that after the 2000 election when there was some question about you know how that got called by the media. Oh, yeah. that media organizations got called in front of Congress, right, to answer questions about that. And now for the large media organizations that do it, like the AP, ABC News, NBC, NBC, and everybody. Um, the the decision desk where they make those calls is completely walled off from the rest of the newsroom, right? Those guys are just in there looking at the numbers, and at some point they go, we can now project that this person is the winner of this race, and it's just based on math and not based on – really based on anything else. Um, and then, and then you know, I mean, if there are other challenges, if there, are some le- if there is some legal challenge that's brought that makes a difference, then we would cover that. So I'm going to hammer this home, but I, but go ahead and make your point, Jeremy. And then, I, I, but people might get sick of this, but I'm I'm going to make a point here about the fact that this is not partisan, and this is not the media wishing that Joe Biden was the president. Yeah, and, and there's a, a misunderstanding what the timeline looks like. You know, as they said in that interview, it's like this is the way the process always works. Mm-hmm. And there's like the end game here. It's like when, especially when you listen to what Ted Cruz was saying and what he was talking about, he wasn't making a legal argument really, right? No. What he was really making was a political argument. You know, you got to put this in the context of, you know, in 2024, there's going to be a presidential cycle. Uh, and Ted Cruz wants to be president still, right? So if Ted Cruz is running, uh, and say Mitt Romney were to be running, he can you know turn to the Trump supporters and say, who do you support more? The guy who fought for Donald Trump to the bitter end, or you know Romney who threw in the towel right away? It's mm-hmm. like so it's a political element on that side. But then from a logistical standpoint, just to understand, so that people understand how this works, you know, all the states will meet with their electoral college votes on December fourteenth, and yeah. they're going to report to the Congress who won those races. Mm-hmm. And then on January, whatever January, you know, the first week of January, when the new Congress is sworn in, the first thing they do is say, is there any objection to the electoral college votes? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's where like a senator or a House member, you know, two, one of each has to you know, reject or, or say there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And then the committees meet for like literally two hours, and then they can come back, and then there's a vote. Yeah, you know, so essentially what the Trump campaign needs is for Nancy Pelosi to agree there's something wrong with the Pennsylvania count mm-hmm. and the Georgia count and the Nevada count <laughs> and Trump is really president. So yes. you see the end game here is there is no end game really for the Republicans. It just simply ends on the day that the new Congress gets seated. Period. If you think that it's just liberal reporters, the liberal media saying all this, let me add this. In Georgia, where they have started a hand recount now, the Republican lieutenant governor, Jeff Duncan, says that he has not seen any evidence of voter fraud in that state. Yeah, so my uh, my office has in been, been in close communication with the Secretary of State's office and the Attorney General's office and made sure that if there's any sort of systemic examples of fraud or voter uh, you know, disenfranchisement uh, across the, the voting base to, to let us know. We've not had any sort of credible uh, incidents raised to our level yet, and so we'll continue to make sure that the opportunity to make sure every legal ballot is counted is, is there. But, you know, at this point, we've not seen any sort of credible examples. Now, he's phrasing that carefully. He has not seen credible examples. He has heard BS examples. We all have, right? We've seen this stuff uh, reported, yep. and it's been thrown out there, and we've talked about some of it. Okay, but let's say... 
you're a Tea Party supporter, and that guy is the he's a rhino. He's the establishment Republican. You don't trust him either. Um, all right. So you don't trust us as reporters. You don't trust the elected Republican lieutenant governor in Georgia. Let's turn to Fox News Channel. And here's Tucker, Tucker Carlson. OK, he's this is not somebody who's a liberal. Right. No. I'm, am I <laughs> understated? Yes. Am I being understated? Yes. That's my <laughs> that's the usual way I do things. Um, Tucker Carlson says that there is voter fraud. However, there's not enough of it to make a difference in this election. At this stage, the fraud that we can confirm does not seem to be enough to alter the election results. We should be honest and tell you that. Of course, that could change. But changing the election results is not the whole point. The real point is that fraud took place, and that should horrify us. If you want people to believe that our system is real, that our system is worth, say, joining the military and dying to protect, then you've got to get to the bottom of what just happened, and you've got to do it as quickly and responsibly as you can. You can't have fraud in an election because no one will believe in elections, and then things fall apart. Is there any system that is completely devoid of fraud? Any system? No. no. I mean, let's think. I mean, well, so look, because I, I don't want to take anything away from these guys either. Look, yeah. he's saying that there is fraud and they should root it out. And, and I think everybody agrees with that. And when Republicans who support the president say that they should only count legal votes, I haven't heard anybody argue with that. But there is this suggestion that that means that there are illegal votes being counted, um, which we haven't seen widespread examples of that you know i don't there's no one i take seriously who says there's no voter fraud ever because we know that that's not true yeah. right there is voter it, it has, of course it has happened but there's not widespread voter fraud there's not voter fraud that's changing the outcome of elections and they have not been able to show that it is happening now let's say that you don't trust the elected republican lieutenant governor of georgia you don't trust the liberal reporters you don't trust tucker carlson how about the guy who put George Bush in the White House? Can we go with him? Can there we go. give can we give Carl Rove a spin here? All right, Carl Rove, the architect. Is it, Bush called him the architect, Governor Bush. And um, he's a Fox News regular as well. He wrote in the Wall Street Journal overnight in the paper this morning a big editorial uh, that uh, the headline was look, the election results will not be overturned. Period. And he went through a bunch of the numbers that you talked about, Jeremy, in these different states. Now, before he said all of that in the Wall Street Journal, which we should note is owned by Rupert Murdoch, yep. who's also not liberal, Rove had said days ago on Saturday, Fox News Channel, that Biden is the winner. Well, every four years, America goes through a uh, ceremony of, of uh, democracy where we uh, – Go to the polls and elect the president or re-elect the president, and uh, uh, this is the uh, apparently the end of that process this year. Uh, Pennsylvania sealed the fate of President Trump and uh, elevated the Vice President Joe Biden to the job that he has sought for many, many decades. And uh, we all wish him well. Uh, the, the, he becomes our president next January 20th. Uh, uh, so much in our country depends upon. Uh, the uh, acts of the president and our government. He is a symbol of, of our government. And uh, uh, like, like a lot of Americans, I've prayed uh, for a lot of different presidents of different parties. And uh, and uh, he will now be in the prayers of the Rome family, as I'm sure he is, will be in the prayers of, of many American families. All right. But what about all the legal challenges now from President Trump and his team? Well, 
he has the right to look at his options. He has a right to examine what he believes is the situation that uh, he was faced with, the treatment that he feels his campaign was uh, given. And he has the right to, um, if he has legitimate complaints, to go to the courts. As, as uh, Trey Gowdy said so eloquently last night, I thought uh, this is one of the great majesties of America that we have uh, every person, no, no matter how high or how low, has access to the American courts. So if uh, President Trump feels that he has been wronged in this situation, he has access to the courts. But this is a pretty definitive judgment. For the folks who are the most ardent Trump supporters, it is not going to matter if they go through a court process and they go all the way to the United States Supreme Court if they can make that happen and the court just pours them out and says, you don't have a case here. They are not going to believe that this wasn't stolen. There's a rally coming up this weekend right here in Texas hosted by Alan West, who you uh, heard from earlier in the TMZ interview, uh, talking about you know a proper process for all this. Well, the rally is called the Stop the Steal Rally. So in one uh, venue, West is talking about this one way, which is a little bit more nuanced way of saying, let's let the process play out. At the rally, I can imagine as the headliner, it's at a Stop the Steal Rally, He's going to be something, you know, saying something different, which is going to be this is being stolen from us. You know, I mean, that's the whole theme of the rally. So the lieutenant governor of Texas is trying to prove that there's voter fraud going on. And I think that what he put out there into the universe about this this week may not have had the exact effect that he was hoping for. Uh, the lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, offered one million dollars for tipsters who have evidence of voter fraud. He wants to know, you know, if there's real voter fraud going on. And some people said, is this a stunt? Other people said, no, it's a good faith effort to try to root out voter fraud out there. Uh, the lieutenant governor has $15 million in his campaign account, so he's good for it. Yep. Uh, he, had say, he had said in his announcement uh, that if someone turns over information leading to the arrest and prosecution, it was sort of like Crime Stoppers. If you can actually help out and find somebody who did you know, did this stuff, harvesting votes, uh, changing votes, stealing votes, whatever, um, he would pay a minimum of $25,000 for that. And you might be able to expect more than that based on whatever you were turning in. Well, his counterpart in Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, is a lieutenant governor there, a Democrat, in some ways, I imagine Fetterman might be a little like a liberal Democratic version of Dan Patrick, which is kind <laughs> yes. of—he's kind of a showman, right? Yep. And uh, interestingly, he's the former mayor of Braddock, Pennsylvania. Braddock, Pennsylvania is <laughs> no relation. <laughs> no, not that I know of. Although I, you know, there were a lot of stories about uh, Braddock when he became uh, the mayor. And he was trying to remake the place. It's one of the original uh, Bethlehem Steel towns yeah. in Pennsylvania, and it had been just economically destroyed, you know, after that industry basically shut down all across. It's why they call this area part of the Rust Belt, right? Um, and they did all this economic revitalization. There are documentaries about the guy, and they'd written him up in New York Times, Washington Post, or wherever else, uh, you know, uh, New York Magazine, everything, uh, you know, making this guy into kind of a celebrity. I remember reading about him at the time, about the remaking of, of Braddock. PA, uh, and just kind of chuckling about that as, as it being, you know, the namesake. But um, I missed the part where he got elected lieutenant governor. I guess he rode that fame to, you know, statewide prominence there. Well, after Dan Patrick offered the million dollars, Fetterman tweeted at him and said, Hey, Governor Patrick, it's your counterpart in Pennsylvania. 
I'd like to collect your handsome reward for reporting voter fraud. I got a dude in 44th PA. You know where that is? Yeah, Lucerne County. Yeah, it's right around um, uh, Wilkes-Barre and Scranton, uh, that area. 44th PA, uh, who tried to have his dead mother vote for President Trump. He says, I'd like my reward in sheets gift cards please it, and i didn't know what sheets was i put this out on twitter I said what is i don't know what sheets is somebody told me it's like a quick stop or the yeah. pennsylvania version of bucky's and then there was some debate about that on twitter i'll let people you know fight that out themselves and then at the end he had to throw this in of course fetterman said p.s the cowboys blow <laughs> so he had to get that in there. Um, quick fact check. Um, the Cowboys do blow. Yes. <laughs> sadly enough, sadly, sadly enough, enough, we have to admit so this, right? He really had to twist the knife on that. We had to admit that. But um, look, it, it, whether it's a stunt or not, I mean, the fact of the matter is that it sort of underscores – this is why I say it had maybe the opposite effect. It underscores the fact, Jeremy – that they can't find any evidence yeah. of voter fraud, that they cannot come up with any widespread voter fraud to speak of. And as we said earlier in the program, there is nobody that I take seriously uh, who has said that there's no voter fraud ever. That's not the point. The point is that when there is voter fraud, it's typically found and dealt with, and it's very minimal. And look, uh, if they want to go through the, um, you know, all of the, machinations of going through court and you know trying to make a case on this and they get poured out at every juncture then have at it but i think the reality is and this is part of going of our reality in texas as a still a solidly republican state at least for the statewide elected officials and and the legislature and our congressional delegation they are doing this because the trump base is the Republican base yes, for sir. right now, right? And that's not going to change in January. Um, it, it, President Trump and his uh, influence is going to be with us for a while. He's a singular figure in the Republican Party, and the degree to which he stays involved in politics, which is going to be, that's his call. Yep. Now, there has been some reporting about whether he wants to you know, run for office again in, in 2024, maybe run for president again. I have to imagine that if there was a Republican primary, he would be the front runner right out of the gate. Um, and so if he continues to be this big presence on social media and maybe he you know, starts doing a TV show, radio show, a podcast or whatever, um, the Trump base, the Republican base is going to stay with him. Uh, and so I don't imagine Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, Senator Cruz, or any of these others uh, who are going to stand for election at some point. I mean, the, the next statewide race is going to be in 2022 when you may have uh, Alan West, for example, challenging Governor Abbott. Um, and there will be a big throwdown about, you know, where were you when yeah. the Democrats were trying to steal that election back in 2020? They'll have to answer that. Yep. So yep. it's so th th there's. Um, there's residual effects uh, from what is happening here. That is the point. All right. Is that enough show? That's enough show. We, I think we filled up the tank. I'm, t I'm topped out here. I'm done. All right. The plugs. If you enjoy the show, and you know you do, you should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. Uh, just click the subscription button. 
it'll show up magically on your phone. You should also subscribe at HoustonChronicle.com where you can see Jeremy's work each and every day, whether he's in Texas or not, and for up-to-the-minute intelligence on what's happening at your state capitol, go to QuorumReport.com, click subscriptions. We will get you signed up, and we'll see you back here next week. Mm -hmm.